Welcome to episode 71 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. In December 2006, I visited Hokkaido, the northernmost island of Japan, to photograph the red crowned cranes that I've shot a number of times in the past. From today, for the next four weeks, uh, you're going to join me on my photographic adventures and share my experiences. Today, in addition to looking at a few photos, we're going to talk about what I was hoping to get from the trip, and then as we uh, move through the series, we'll talk more about what I actually did get. And I'm going to finish today by talking about the Canon EOS 1DS Mark II camera that I rented for use on the trip and just compare it a little to my 5D. Before we go on to the main topic for today though, note that we are currently being sponsored by top camera bag manufacturer Lowepro. Last week I mentioned that Lowepro have been making camera bags for over 30 years and actually they've just turned 40, so congratulations to Lowepro on that. Over 40 years of firsts. If you didn't yet hear my review of the bags that I use and uh, the details of the Stealth Reporter D650AW camera bag that you can win in the photography assignment, please listen to episode 70 of this podcast. There's still plenty of time to scoop this amazing prize. Also, before we move on, if you've been having trouble with lots of the episodes um, of this podcast being downloaded again a second time by iTunes, then please accept my apologies. I had to change the feed uh, for the show uh, to allow me to include decimal points in episode numbers. I released a promo for the camera bag prize as episode 70.1. So the change to the feed triggered iTunes to think that some of the shows were different and therefore uh, should be downloaded again. You can stop iTunes from doing this and in fact I'd prefer it if you did so. Uh, because I've spent most of the weekend hand-holding my servers as they crumple under the strain. If you want to change the iTunes settings, do, um, let's see, go into Edit and Preferences and then select the uh, Podcast tab. You can choose to download all episodes, which is the default, or you can choose to only download the latest or to do nothing. I think that uh, downloading the latest is the best setting, personally. That's what I usually select. Uh, once you've stopped iTunes from downloading everything, you can actually then go through and delete all of the greyed out entries and they'll stay deleted so you can just see your original files. Uh, whatever you decide to do though, uh, you know, once again I apologise for the inconvenience caused in the changes to the feed. And uh, with that though, let's move on to today's main topic. On the morning of Wednesday, December the 27th, I was up at the crack of dawn and heading to Haneda Airport to fly to Hokkaido, probably my favourite place on the planet. If you've been following this podcast for a while, you'll know that I head out to Hokkaido a few times a year. In 2006, I was there in February, July and this recent trip in December. In the summer, uh, it's a nice place to go to escape the heat of Tokyo, which can be quite oppressive. And in the winter, Hokkaido is usually locked in snow, uh, which uh, we don't see much of in Tokyo, so it's always nice to get up there. It's not just the weather, though, that attracts me to Hokkaido. Uh, it's a very mountainous place, making for beautiful landscape photography, and the wildlife is just amazing. 
On this trip, I was going to concentrate on shooting the Red Crown Cranes in a small town called uh, Tsurui. Tsurui actually means, uh, directly translated, cranes are here. Uh, Tsurui is just a 30-minute or 40, maybe 40 minutes or so drive from the Kushiro airport, uh, which is where I was heading. I arrived and picked up my rental car before lunch and was a little disappointed to see that it was raining, not snowing. The ice on the roads was very slippery because it was wet, but the rain had not yet managed to melt it, uh, making driving a little bit treacherous, uh, so I took my time and making my way over to Tsurui. When I got there, the first uh, place I drove to was the Ito Crane Sanctuary, and when I got there, I was pleased to see a whole lot of cranes just standing around on the grass. Uh, but to be honest, it was dark, uh, it was just before lunch, but it was dark and wet, and not really the best of conditions. I decided to go to the hotel and drop some stuff off, and then get a map of the area and scout out the other locations that I was hoping to shoot uh, at over the next few days. I'd be here until 2pm on the 30th, so hopefully I was going to get uh, better conditions to shoot in, so I wasn't too worried about getting my gear out and seeing what I could make out of the conditions on the first day. So I did just that, I went to the hotel and checked in, the hotel uh, was suggested to me by Yoshiaki Kobayashi, the Japanese photographer that I visited Hokkaido with a few times already. It is the Hotel Taito, and I can fully recommend this uh, hotel if you're ever in town. The owner of the hotel is also a professional photographer named Masahiro Wada. I'll put a link to the hotel's homepage in the show notes, uh, but there's only Japanese um, on the site. I can't find an English version, uh, but there's also a lot of... Um, the photographer, the owner's uh, photos on there in a gallery, and most of it's, uh, you know, you can navigate by the icons, so have a click around and see if you can find his photos, some very nice work on there. So also I'll put a link to another page that is really cool uh, to play with. There's actually a webcam at the Crane Sanctuary, so you can see the birds in the field live between uh, 6am and 5pm, uh, Japan time that is, so Japan is... Uh, currently, well, always nine hours ahead of GMT. So you'll have to figure out uh, when to look at the at this uh, webcam based on your own time zone. Uh, but once you hit a time when the camera is working, you can click a little button on the bottom right of the uh, webcam window to actually take control of the camera yourself if no one else has control. And then it will allow you to zoom in and out and pan around the field looking at the red crown cranes doing their thing. So now uh, equipped with a map and the best places to shoot the cranes from, I went back out and had a drive around doing a bit of reconnaissance. There were three photographs or three types of photographs that I was really hoping to shoot while out here for these three days. One of them was from a bridge looking out down onto the cranes in the river where they roost on cold nights. I was hoping to shoot the scene with the mist on the river enshrouding the birds as they started their day. I was starting to get a little bit of a bad feeling about this shot though as the river only gets misty when the temperature falls down to about minus 15 degrees Celsius which I believe is around uh, 5 degrees Fahrenheit. Of course it's much colder in the mornings, in the mornings uh, but usually on days when I get to, you know when it gets this cold in the morning and um, it doesn't normally get above freezing during the day even either so um, I, I was not not so hopeful that it was that cold uh, in the mornings at this point at this time of the year 
uh, still, um, you know, there was a few days and I was still hoping that maybe in the, in the coming days it would cool down a little bit. Uh, the place to shoot these cranes from is called Otowa Bashi, which is about uh, 10 kilometers uh, from the hotel. And actually, Otowa is the name of the, the you know, the name of the bridge. Bashi just means, uh, it's just like the concatenated form of Hashi, which means bridge. Um, the characters for Otowa, actually, as well, are the characters for sound and wings. So I thought that was a pretty beautiful name uh, for the bridge especially given the fact that these uh, the red crown cranes roost here. The bridge is actually built uh, with one bridge for cars and one for people, so there's no fear of being run over while photographing the cranes. You have a, a bridge uh, pretty much built for this purpose. I found this place and um, quickly checked it out, but then drove around uh, to a few other places on the map, none of which had any cranes at this time, uh, but at least now I knew where they were or where they would be. It turns out that I pretty much spent uh, the next three mornings visiting Ottawa Bridge at around 6am before dawn and then driving straight to the crane sanctuary uh, after that, either finding, you know, after either finding no cranes at the bridge or after shooting for a little while, but uh, we'll get to those shots in a later episode. The two other shots that I was uh, hoping to capture while I was here on this uh, particular trip was cranes crying um, or honking, or whatever you, whatever it is you want to call you want to call uh, it that cranes do. Uh, but while doing that uh, beautiful dance that they do, uh, you know, sort of crying with the freezing breath uh, coming out of their mouths, and you know that being lit by the early morning light. I have a few shots uh, from previous visits with the breath showing already, but I really wanted this in that golden early morning light uh, that I know you can you can get in these areas if you're there early enough. Uh, again, it has um, to be pretty cold for this, uh, so it, I was not that hopeful that I was going to get this shot either. Uh, the last shot that I was uh, pretty much going to be able to get no matter what is one of the cranes flying as it gets dark so that I had a slow shutter speed to capture the movement in their wings. I could have shot this during the day with a neutral density filter, obviously, uh, and maybe a small aperture, to get a slow shutter speed, but this was not what I was visualising. I wanted a dark background for the white birds to stand out on. Also, the birds uh, fly to roost as it gets dark, so it would be it would give me more chance, more birds to aim at uh, to actually, you know, get, just basically get more opportunities to take the shot as it started to get dark. I called in at a small store in Surui and bought some apples, plastic bottled uh, drinks and bread, uh, things that I was going to eat for lunch over the next three days while standing out on the sanctuary. And then I went back over to the sanctuary itself to see what I could make of this rainy afternoon. Well, it was really pretty uneventful. I shot for a while, uh, but the, con the conditions were not great. Uh, it re didn't really um, enable anything great to happen. Uh, one shot that I wanted to look at from this afternoon is number 1200. Here you can see the sheer number of the cranes uh, that uh, take off together to go to roost. I recall thinking on seeing this that it was going to be difficult actually to even just single out one or two birds for my panning shots as it got dark. And this was the case to a certain extent. We still, you know, I, uh, I got some pretty interesting results which we'll look at next week. Uh, maybe the week after. Um, I haven't uh, planned for these for the for the future, 
episodes of this travelogue yet. Uh, but on this day, um, I really didn't manage to produce anything notable. I'm really just showing you this uh, shot, this first shot, uh, which I kind of like, but don't think it's great. Just to show you really the lay of the land at the sanctuary. I found this uh, location to be much more scenic than the Akan International uh, Crane Centre. And that, that's a few miles away. The Akan Centre actually seems to be more popular, probably because they feed the cranes raw fish at 2pm every day. And get uh, Stella and white-tailed eagles come in for a free lunch too. There is more space to stand at uh, to shoot from there too. Uh, but because it's much more popular, it can sometimes be difficult to even just get somewhere to stand your tripod. So at the sanctuary, I pretty much was able to pick where I shoot, uh, shot from each day. Uh, you can see that there's a nice tree there in the foreground and adding a little interest, uh, but the surroundings look very natural. The account center is nice too, but uh, not quite as scenic as this. You can see from the shooting data, if you're viewing this shot on my website, that it was so dark that even having set my ISO to 400 and the aperture to 5.6, I was still only getting a shutter speed of 1 80th of a second. This would have been great for the panning shots, but it was going to be difficult to do this in the rain while holding a brolly uh, in one hand. Uh, so, you know, I was using the 5D at this point, so I couldn't really get it wet. So I pretty much uh, gave up on the first day. If you listened uh, to the podcast for a while, then you'll know that I quite like rainy days for some shoot, for shooting some uh, in some some situations. So it uh, it's not something that usually bothers me, but it just wasn't really going to work for what I wanted to do with the cranes today. I went back to the hotel and cleared up uh, a few of the jobs that we have to do, like backing up the photos that I did take to my Epson portable storage, and then charging batteries and things, and then just went for dinner. Great food at the Hotel Taito too, uh, you know, but I, I never really enjoy eating alone. I was on the I went on the trip alone, so sort of sat there and uh, just had a, a beer and something to eat. Uh, after dinner, I went up to the loft where the owner of the hotel sits most most evenings and introduced myself and got some more uh, tips on photographing in the area during this conversation. I find it so important to talk to people that shoot in the area whenever possible. They know where to go at various times of year, and if they're shooting all year round regularly, they'll know how the conditions have been over the last few days as well. I told him uh, you know, what sort of shots that I was hoping to capture, and he seemed somewhat hopeful that I'd get at least one morning with the mist over the river. So I went to bed happy that night. The next morning I was up bright and early at 5.15am and headed for the bridge. I've been told that the cranes roosted uh, way down the river from the bridge and that even with my 600mm lens they'd seem far away. This of course meant that uh, they could not be seen with the naked eye and as it was still pretty dark at this time I couldn't tell if there was any birds on the river at all. I was putting my gear down, so, you know, getting my rucksack off, and started to think about getting the 100mm, 100-400mm lens out and put it onto the 5D to take a look for the birds, uh, when a guy with a pair of binoculars walked along the bridge and told me that there were no birds there. So it was pointless staying here uh, for the possibility of a nice landscape shot too. I wasn't really here for landscapes. Uh, so, you know, I... I also, as well, you know, there was no mist on the river, which was, again one of the things that I was looking for. Uh, so I jumped back, back in the car and went straight around to the Ito Crane Sanctuary and shot for an hour or so until uh, I headed back to the hotel for breakfast. 
Uh, one of the last shots that I captured during this uh, this hour or so at the sanctuary bef- before breakfast was 1202. Shot at ISO 200 at f5.6 for 1250th one, one of a second. I was really uh, just trying to get, um, you know, just capture the atmosphere of the morning with the sun as it climbed in the sky and the golden light caught in the clouds. The foreground's a tad on the dark side as I was exposing for the sky, uh, but not to the extent where I, I thought I needed to take two shots and merge them together or use a, a, a neutral, a graduated neutral density filter, which I didn't have because I don't do that anymore. Uh, but the, you know, the, I just thought that, um, you know, it, it would it would work okay like this, and I'm not too disappointed with it. I think the the, the foreground being dark actually puts things into a little bit more perspective. Um. I kind of um, like the way you know the birds are just sort of tinkering around here in the foreground. I have bumped up the saturation on this a little, uh, as I do with most of my shots these days, to give them a bit of a velvier look. And this really brought out the warmth in the sky. It was actually um, still uh, too warm temperature-wise in general, so uh, this marked the end of my hopes for getting the shot with the freezing breath blooming out of the mouth uh, for today. After breakfast, I had a drive around at some of the other, take a look at some of the other sites in the area to see if there were any cranes around, but uh, there weren't. So I went back to the sanctuary, and this was the time, uh, you know, I was here now for the day. I had brought my lunch to the point where I was going to be shooting, where I was going to stand to shoot for the rest of the day. I think it was about 10 a.m. when I got there. And I was going to try my best um, to not go to the toilet and uh, you know just shoot literally for six hours solid until uh, the sun went down after 4 p.m.-ish. Uh, there are toilets here, but although Japan is a safe country, I didn't fancy leaving my gear out on the, on the snow at the edge of the fence while I went to the toilet. And as uh, you know, that's actually as mo- most of the other people do that. I um, I also got to know the guy standing next to me, and we, you know, we had lots of conversations over the next three days or so. He was going to be there um, until the the day after me, the thirty first. He was going back, um, but you know, I could have asked him to keep his eye on my gear while I went away. But it turns out that I, I didn't need to anyway. After I'd been here for an hour or so, at eleven a.m., I shot the next photo, which is number one two zero three. I had, of course, uh, shot a lot of other photos already, but this was this is just the first one that I want to look at. This crane was standing literally just uh, a few meters away from me, uh, so I picked up my 5D, to which I'd fitted the 100 to 400 millimeter lens, and made a few exposures of this beautiful bird preening itself. Shot at ISO 100 with aperture uh, 5.6 for 1/400th of a second. If you look at the EXIF data below the image in my gallery, you'll see that I was shooting in manual mode. I've been through this a few times before, but just to recap, as these birds are white and are often against a white background, I usually take a reading from either them or from the snow, and then set my camera to manual and just select a you know a shutter speed based on the aperture uh, that will give me uh, one and two-thirds of a stop more than the camera's meter thinks that it should be. This way, I get the whites exposed correctly, uh, but more importantly, as these guys take off and move from a white background uh, to a dark or a mid-tone background, the camera doesn't get confused because it's in manual mode. 
So if I don't do this, then the the dark background would make the camera overexpose and you know trying to lighten up the scene, and that would result in in the in the, in the I mean, totally blown out, losing all details in the white feathers. So once I know that I've got my whites white, I really don't need to worry about anything else. Anyway, uh, back to the shot. I really like this one just for the tenderness of the moment and the diffused light reflected from uh, all of the white around is lighting the crane's eyes up uh, enough to be able to see the pupil and some detail in the eye without there being a catch light as such. As I say, uh, this was shot with the 100-400mm lens on my 5D but a few minutes later the bird was still there so I shot it again as an even closer close-up with the 600mm f4 uh, on the 1DS Mark II that I'd rented for the trip. We can see the results in image number 1204 shot at exactly the same settings as the 5D. I did notice that the 1DS's meter was pretty much always a third of a stop uh, lighter than the 5D when I pointed it at the same thing, which I kept in mind while shooting, but most of the time uh, once I had my reading for the lighting conditions at any one point, I just kept setting the two cameras to the same settings and then tweaking as necessary based on looking at the histogram. These birds being white makes it uh, very easy to just set exposure to get the histogram close to but not touching the right shoulder of the histogram. Artistically, uh, not even close to the last image, but I just uh, find that the detail in the bird's head and the beak is pretty unbelievable. Uh, you know, this is more down to the lens than the body. Although I do uh, or did have more pixels with the uh, the 1DS at 16.6 megapixels compared to 12.8 uh, 12 me 12 megapixels with the 5D. Uh, but of course, you know, um, both will enable me to get very large prints, so it's debatable whether 16.6 megapixels is really necessary. I personally like to have as many pixels as I possible uh, as I possibly can to play with. The reason is that you you know you never know how large you're going to want to print a an image in the future, and having larger larger images opens up more doors when selling images commercially as well. Also, if you have a large image to start with, then it gives you more freedom when cropping um, a little. You can go you can crop a little bit more away and still have uh, enough to play with, uh, you know, much more than you could if you had a smaller image. Of course, all of this is relative to what size you want to print to, so it really is very subjective. Anyway, uh, kind of easing into a mini-review of the 1DS Mark II here, the first thing that I like about the camera um, is, as I just said, lots of pixels to play with. The reason I rented this camera for the trip um, you know, was really so that I could just ignore the fact that it was either raining or snowing. Uh, you know, I often have to uh, babysit the camera a little bit too much uh, when it's uh, snowing or raining heavily uh, when I'm using my 5D. Uh, you know, the 5D is okay in light snow, and, and also, I mean, I don't always cover it up in, in very light rain. Uh, but as soon as the weather turns uh, bad, it's it's better to keep the body covered. All of my L lenses are by default weatherproof and so don't need to be handled with kid gloves in this way. Of course, you have to stop raindrops or snow from mounting on the front element or filters of your lens, but the barrel itself uh, can 
get pretty pretty much as wet as you like and you don't really have to worry about it doing any harm. Note that I am talking about L lenses uh, here. You know, the if you please don't go out and uh, and get get a standard lens all wet and then complain to me when it breaks. Um, I'm only talking about L lenses. Uh, the other reason that I rented the 1DS for this trip was because I don't imagine uh, that it's going to be too long now before we see a 1DS Mark III or a Mark IIn or an X or whatever they want to call the next generation. Um, but you know, I wanted to gauge what Canon needs to fix in the next model um, of this top-of-the-range pro body uh, to put myself in a better position to decide if it's worth buying or not. Comparing it to the 5D, I have to admit that the short review would simply be that I'm glad that I didn't pay more than double the cost of the 5D for the 1DS. Uh, if you can put up with babysitting the 5D a little, then it really doesn't seem worth the additional cost as it stands. That uh, wouldn't really be much of a good review. You know, it wouldn't be a very good review at all, though. So. Uh, even a mini review. So let's go into a little bit more detail uh, before we close for today. Uh, so in addition to more pixels and weatherproofing, the other things that I did like about the 1DS Mark II was uh, to start with the neutrally colored finder. I've never noticed uh, with the 5D before, but when using the two cameras side by side, the 5D has a definite yellow tint. This doesn't really make any difference in, hand, in the handling of the camera, uh, but it was very obvious and a little bit annoying the more I noticed it. Another thing that I like about the 1DS is the fact that the rubber eyepiece or the eye cup on the, you know, on the back of the finder um, is attached with clips to stop it from falling off. I've lost the eye cup uh, from my 20D once and I've dropped it uh, from the 20D and other cameras a number of times and only lost it once, usually going back and finding it, but uh, you know, it seems that the only the 1D series, the professional bodies, have uh, eye cups that are locked on in this way, which is a bit of a shame, but that's how Canon have decided to do it. Also related to the finder, there's a little shutter built into the, um, the back of the 1DS finder. It's like there's a tiny lever on the right side uh, that when pulled down, uh, or outwards uh, closes the back of the finder. So, you know, why would you want to uh, close the back of a finder? You ask, you might ask, but basically, um, when shooting on a tripod uh, with a timer or long exposures, when you remove your eye from the back of the finder, a light can stray into the finder and make its way down to the sensor uh, via the mirrors that enable us to see, uh, you know, the scene through the lens when composing the shot. Uh, even, in fact, if you do this when you are uh, composing the shot, it can also affect the uh, the way, you know, the metering as well. So uh, I would imagine that, you know, you would need to shut this uh, before making all of your final choices. But if you're in manual mode, really, the only thing you need to worry about is just pulling this lever. Um, a little shutter, you know, stops any light from sh from getting in the back and you can just sort of expose away. Of course, the other thing um, about the 1DS Mark II uh, that I really liked was just the overall quality of the camera. It feels great to hold. It's rock solid. Uh, you could literally do just about anything to this camera, and I'm sure that you're not going to hurt it. 
you can really tell uh, that apart from the weatherproofing, it's just really, really built to last. So if I think of anything else that I did like about the 1DS, I'll tell you as we move along. But for now, um, I think that's about it. So I'll tell you uh, the things that I did not like about it as well. Two things that really got me are the autofocus and the image buffer. Now, this camera is not really meant for speed and shooting lots of images in a row. Uh, if I really wanted fast frames um, per second and the ability to just keep shooting without worrying about filling the buffer, then I should have gone for the 1D Mark II N and not the 1DS Mark II. Compared to the 1D uh, Mark II N at 20 raw images in a burst, the 1DS Mark II will uh, only shoot 11 raw images. Uh, before the buffer fills up, that is. Now, if the camera wrote these images to the card as they're shot and, you know, while I was continuing to shoot, then even uh, 11 images would probably be enough most of the time. But I got the distinct feeling that clearing the buffer to the card was paused while I was half pressing the shutter button uh, waiting for the next shot. I didn't really test this, which I really regret, but... A number of times I got down to the last shot or so, you know, with a one or a zero in the finder indicating the number of shots left and kept the shutter button half pressed, tracking a crane across the sky while um, waiting for the number to go up again. And it didn't go up. Uh, it stayed at one or zero until I took my finger off the shutter button. I haven't checked if this is design or a faulty camera. Uh, that I just happened to have, but I suspect it's the design of the camera, and it was very frustrating. The other point, uh, the other thing that I uh, found even more frustrating was the autofocus. Despite the 1DS Mark II having 45-point focusing, I found it to be far more prone to mistakes than the 5D under these circumstances. Now, it's important to stress that I was in a place where the, the white bird large white bird, splashes of black, was probably less contrasty than the mottled snow and the you know, with the patches of grass poking through and the twigs and branches of the trees in the background. But I found that the 1DS almost always focused on the wrong thing, again and again. You know, in, the, the, the circumstances were confusing. Um, and as I did become accustomed to it myself and sort of the positioning of the the 45 um, focusing points, it did get a little bit better. Um, but even over the, you know, for the four days, it really wasn't a lot. And it was really quite frustrating to the end. Uh, I know that I lost uh, quite a few shots uh, from the camera moving out of focus to the surroundings at the last minute. Uh, uh, you know, this was... Um, a little bit that the annoyingness was reduced a little bit if I selected the center focusing point um, you know or any other single point but I really wanted to test the 45 focusing points and it just wasn't really up to the job under the same uh, conditions the 5d got it right almost all of the time so this was obvious so it's obvious uh, in both uh, you know, this issue is obvious in both standard autofocus and AI servo, uh, which I often use when tracking birds in flight. And it was the, the fact that I was trying to track a bird that I didn't always want to put in the very center of the screen that I didn't really want to just single down the focus point to just one point. 
So I guess this is uh, what you get when the camera is under development for another year or so. Uh, Canon has obviously made bounds in the accuracy and probably the algorithms in their autofocus in the time between the two cameras uh, were released. Uh, now, I have to say that even under normal circumstances, focusing, focusing is almost definitely going to be better with the 1DS uh, because of the number of focusing points. But the surroundings that I was shooting in uh, really just seemed to have it stumped. So... These are the only two things that really, really annoyed me um, about, about the 1DS Mark II, that is. The small LCD compared to the 5D was a little bit annoying, uh, but I'm used to that from my old uh, Canon DSLRs. Uh, also, the time taken to delete photos from the card uh, was really, really long. Uh, but these are not that annoying compared to the first two issues, which, which really just clearly outweigh a lot of the nice things that I did like about this camera. So when the next generation um, of this camera is released, that, you know, I'll be paying close attention to the areas that I've just mentioned and see how they've been improved before considering turning over a large chunk of my bank balance to uh, my friends at Canon. So looking at the software that I'm using to record this podcast, I can see that we're over 33 minutes. Um, I'm going to continue for a few weeks. Uh, you know, let's call it a day for today. Last week, I mentioned that I might be able to meet up with listeners in the UK during a visit back there next week. I now know that this will be the 24th of January, uh, which is a Wednesday. Unfortunately, my weekends are fully booked, so this you know, is really all I can make. I will um, make my way somewhere between Nottingham and London, you know, some point in the middle, hopefully, for the afternoon and or an evening. Um, if anyone is interested, uh, with me to, to meet up for a chat and maybe uh, for dinner in the evening, uh, so that we can get to know each other a little uh, bit better face to face. If you're interested, please mail me at info at martinbaileyphotography.com over the next week. Let me know somewhere that uh, would be relatively easy for you to get between Nottingham and London. And if we can uh, figure out a good place for us to meet up, then it'll be great to see you. For now, though, uh, have a great week, whatever you do. Bye-bye. photocastnetwork.com your photography resource in the potosphere photocastnetwork.com